Welcome to Locally Sourced Joey. It has been a while, so let's remind you of the drill. If you would like to get in touch with the show, feel free to reach out on Twitter at Joseph Currency or get in touch on iTunes. You can leave a review, search Locally Sourced Joey, leave a rating, leave a review, say hey. Joined today by Craig Tomashoff, author of The Candidates, Running for President When Nobody Knows Your Name. And it's a look at a number of presidential hopefuls that really have no shot at being president, but are doing it for their own specific reasons. Very entertaining read. Please excuse the sound of lawnmowers running in the background. It seemed like everyone from the state of Texas decided to landscape the grass outside my window. Very exciting. And Frank C., of course, goes nuts barking at one point. What she was barking at, my guess, is nothing. It's usually what it is, but hopefully that doesn't detract from an otherwise enjoyable conversation. So here's the chat with Craig. Enjoy. Well, thanks for, for doing this. I wasn't actually quite sure what your podcast was, to be honest. I know it, you mentioned you talked to Bob, I think you said before, right? Yes. Um, it's a play okay. off my, my blog name, which is a hot cup of Joey. So this is locally sourced Joey. I live in Austin, so people are very big on the organic locally sourced foods and all that, so it seemed fitting. But uh, the end of my trip to do the book was uh, was actually in Austin. That was my last my last stop in the night of my uh, my celebration until I went back to my hotel room and found two ticks. So oh, no. it was all good up till then. Well, what did you what did you do while you were down here? Hopefully, saw some sights. Uh, I mean, it was literally. I pulled in at about kind of time did I meet the, the woman that I interviewed there. I think I met her. It, it was last. Um, it was May, and it was right after all the really bad rains there. Okay. Um, so the woman that I went to meet got flooded out, and we ended up having to uh, go sit in a Starbucks, like some suburban Starbucks, for three hours. <laughs> um, to do the interview, and then after that, I went downtown to um, to see all that I've ever heard of. And I is it Sixth Street? Is that what it was called? I can't remember. Whatever the main yes, like yeah. place with all the music. Um, and uh, just sort of wandered around, listened to a few things randomly. Uh, may, may have had one or two drinks to celebrate the end of the road, uh, and. Um, Actually, just, uh, my main memory of that was eating the best street food I've ever had in my entire life. Like, I, I ate way too much, uh, too many, like, tacos and burgers and just, like, horrible food, but it was so good. But um, if, if there's anything that stands out about my Austin time, that was definitely it. Yeah, Austin has terrific food, and I always tell people if they visit, if they don't get a stomach ache from overeating at least one point in their visit, it was not a real trip to Austin. So I'm glad you. It sounds like you experienced that that you were. Uh, I I did. I had because it was some somebody who made like handmade pizzas and they put hot sauce on it, and that that I do regret. That my <laughs> my stomach was not a fan of that, but it was. It was still good for a while, but um, <laughs> but yeah, and I spent probably three or four hours, uh, and then started traveling and ended up at a Motel Six. Sort of, um, I remember it was like we by a gigantic Target where I had to go the next morning to um, uh, get like bug spray and stuff. But 
overall, it was a lovely time to be there, and uh, and the woman that I interviewed and ended the book with was was very entertaining. So it uh, it was all worth it. That's all you can ask for. And so that was the end of of the book. How let's let's jump to the beginning. How did okay. how did the idea for this this book uh, come about? Uh, it, it's born mainly from uh, this this fascination that I have with like we all grew up being told anybody can grow up to be president. Um, we find out very quickly that uh, that's a, a lie to keep us in line right up there with Santa Claus. <laughs> you know, that uh, it's absolutely not true. Hardly anyone can grow up to be president, and the older you get, the less likely that is. <coughs> Excuse me, but. It's, it's like one of the, the core principles of, of democracy. So I, you know, I, I am fascinated by people who do that knowing full well that uh, they will lose all their friends, they will lose all their money, they will never, ever, ever succeed. Um, and yet they wake up in the morning and go, hey, you know what, that's for me. Um, so the psychology of doing that fascinated me because we all tend to write these people off as lunatics without ever getting to know any of them. Uh, and there was that, and then at the same time, literally everyone that I knew was not happy with the presidential choices that we had. And this is back when we had about 337 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody I knew was excited about Hillary. Nobody was excited about, back then, Jeb Bush. Then you know, later became Trump. So that combination of who are these real people? We always say we want real people running for office, so who are these people that dream they can do it? Um, maybe one of them is actually pretty, pretty solid candidate, so I set about trying to find them. Awesome, and I believe if I have the number right, there's somewhere around 160 or so um, that had completed the, the necessary paperwork to submit their names to be eligible, and did you reach out to all of them? Yeah, it's actually at the time, it was March 1st, 2015, which was exactly one year to the day before Super Tuesday of this election. And I figured if you're like really serious about this, you should probably have signed up a year before the biggest uh, day of the primary election. Um, And then none of the people you recognized, you know, with much bigger names had signed up. There was nobody recognizable out of 193 people. But I wrote an, a letter to each one of those people, just telling them I'm curious to know what their reasoning was and you know why they were doing this. Uh, I probably heard back from about a hundred. I think it was uh, I think just over a hundred people um, called me back or emailed me back, and uh, and then it was a process of talking to each and every one of them to find out you know, who who the semi-sane people were. <laughs> And so how many of those hundred or so were the semi-same people? Uh, it uh, you know, eventually kind of winnowed down. I think I ended up with about 30, 35 people who I liked. Uh, I mean, some were maybe a little uh, further uh, from the center um, than, than others. Uh, the elevator maybe went to the 20th floor, but not all the way to the top. Um, but when I ended up there, there were 
about 35 people I enjoyed speaking to uh, and who had interesting personal reasons for doing what they were doing. Uh, and then it was just a case of trying to decide out of that. I couldn't write about 35 people. I settled on 15 uh, and tried to find the 15 with the best stories, uh, but also kind of more representative of, uh, of politics than you usually see. So I wanted to make sure that you know, many ethnicities uh, and genders were represented in the uh, in the mix. It came up at the 15 that I hit the road to go meet. Very cool. And I am going to take this time to apologize if uh, you can hear the lawnmower that appears. Apparently, there's some oh. landscaping going on right outside my window. So hopefully, it's time. I I can't hear it, but I'm familiar. I will sit at home and do interviews sometimes with the dog barking and sirens wailing and uh, and everything else. Yeah. It's, uh, so it's totally fine. It's like they wait until it's like, hey, it looks like that room's recording. Let's let's get yeah, it right now. I personally think it's the CIA uh, who, you know, is, is not a fan that they were mentioned in the book. So I think uh, I think it's a government conspiracy. There we go. That sounds that sounds legitimate to me. So I like it. And you you mentioned not everyone was able to make it into this book of the thirty or thirty five that you talked to. What were a couple of those people's uh, reasoning for for wanting to run that you thought were were pretty interesting? Uh. Well, you know, actually, there there were several who kind of made it down to kind of a little bit who were um, uh, veterans, a lot of them disabled vets, uh, but uh, I would say there were at least four or five who said they were running because they didn't like the pornography in movies these days. Hmm. Uh, and uh, when I would ask them what they meant by that, because they were very entertaining and I was getting along and loved them, uh, and then they proceeded to give me very detailed graphic descriptions <laughs> of sex scenes in movies. Far too detailed for somebody who you know claims they didn't want to watch them. So I, I wrote a lot, a lot of those guys, I wrote them off. Um, you know, the most interesting of the ones who didn't make the book, and it was it was more because at the last minute he pulled out, um, was a doctor in Philadelphia, I believe he was in Pennsylvania, who was African-American, uh, conservative, like fiscally conservative, not socially conservative, uh, who had uh, gone to the Kennedy School at Harvard, whose parents had been very active in the civil rights movement, uh, and he he was listing all his credentials, and I just kept thinking, man, like this guy sounds legit. Um, and he had you know a lot of high connections. He he had talked to the Republican National Committee a few times, um, and he was it. Like this this guy, Dr. Brian Ari Cole, was just I, he, he was what you wanted a candidate. And then he called to tell me that uh, basically he, he was not going to get the support, support of the RNC. They, uh, they already had their uh, African-American candidate, turned out to be Ben, ben Carson, um, whose resume was somewhat similar, and therefore it was going to be impossible for, for Dr. Cole to really drill up any interest. He would just be looked at as one of the crazy people. So he didn't run and therefore he dropped out of the book and that was that was probably the biggest shame i think that i couldn't include him well maybe they'll they'll be the uh deleted scenes part of the book yeah, that's a, 
or there's always four years from now when I think he would fare far better than uh, than, than Carson did. Uh, yeah, I mean there were there were a few. There was one other guy who uh, I wanted to include, and I think he was like number sixteen in the list of fifteen. Was a uh, uh, a school teacher in God, I can't remember now, Virginia, maybe North Carolina, somewhere around there, who uh, was running basically just to prove to his his eighth grade class that uh, anybody could do this and you probably should do this because it's a good experience uh, and I so wanted to include that guy but it just uh, you know, distance and timing and other things didn't work out so he did not get included um, but uh, you know, maybe in four years maybe in four years yeah and that's that's going back to the anyone can grow up to be president I like that keeping that, <laughs> keeping that lie going uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's a little number. There were there were many people that I knew, you know, just friends of mine when I started working on this book, who all first told me I was an insane person for trying to do it, um, and second, some who thought there was way more qualifications that you needed, um, but there isn't. Uh, it's the, the the interesting quirk that happened. I'm leaping ahead a little bit, but. Um, like one of the most mistaken things about running for president, there was a guy that I included in the book in Rapid City, South Dakota, who toward the end of the day said, hey, as long as we're out, he was having me drive around and meet everybody from his entire life. Uh, said, hey, you know, we should go meet my probation officer. Um, which is not something you expect to hear from most presidential candidates, by the way, <laughs> let's meet my probation officer. Um, so we, we drove to meet her. She was very surprised to see this visit and the year he was running and said, you know, you can't run, you're a felon because he had had some DUIs and he'd been convicted. Uh, and it turns out one of the many quirks is you can't run if you're a felon. You just can't vote for yourself like because felons can't vote, but they can run. So yeah, a little, little memo to all the felons out there. You can run for president. Oh, that's good to know. I'll, I'll let my felon friends know about that. Um, okay, that's your business. <laughs> Not enough any of them would uh, actually want to run. But that's that was something I was curious about. Did any of these people, I assume the ones who did not make the cut, um, would be more likely to have done this, but did anyone fill out all the paperwork, apply, and they weren't actually eligible to be president? Uh, yes, actually, there were there were a few again because I I talked to a ton of people. Uh, there were two in particular uh, who, um, in the course of me talking to them, said, "All right, so somehow the the age requirement came up because that's you know the two things you got to be a citizen, uh, natural born citizen, unless you're Ted Cruz, and you have to be thirty five. <laughs> um, and I mentioned somehow the thirty five limit, um, and I had two people actually go, oh, I had to go, like I was talking to them, and they would go, you know, they would tell me their age, they were 29 or 32 or whatever it was, and I would say, like, you know, you can't run, you have to be 35, and they went, no, you don't, <laughs> uh, and I had to explain to them that they were wrong, uh, I never did hear from them again. <laughs> so, uh, so there were a few people who weren't quite aware how they got past the FEC. That I will never actually know, but they did. They actually got approved, even though they weren't old enough. So, oh. 
say something about the stringent uh, federal election commission, I think, that those people got through and that um, uh, Sydney's voluptuous buttocks got through. Uh, <laughs> uh, a person who I believe may not even exist. <laughs> Great name, though. Lots you can do with the slogans and whatnot. But that's, that's good to know. I was curious how far some of these people could have gotten um, despite being ineligible, so... That's a little alarming to hear. Oh, yes, but it's, I mean, it's part of the system. I, I think it's, you know, it's kind of fine in that if, if we want to, you know, be, be truly open and, and uh, you know, true to our uh, democratic roots, you know, why not let everybody run however they want to run? Um, I, I don't see the problem with it. It makes it fun. Uh, it's uh, just the crazy ones. I think uh, there are some crazy ones. Uh, take away from the the vast majority of others who who are not crazy. They've got some other personal reason driving them to do this. Yeah, and uh, another aspect of the book um, is that while you were doing this, your son was also about to enter college. So how? How did the timing of those two um, kind of coincide, and and what did did he accompany you on any of the trips, or, or how did that all work? Uh, no, he was uh, getting ready to uh, graduate. So he had like when I left, which was almost exactly a year ago. Uh, I think he had about three and a half weeks of school left, okay. uh, and um, so he couldn't come. Uh, and he was somewhat reluctant to have me even, you know, kind of rope him into this, but he actually was the one who took tons of the phone calls from the, the people I was trying to interview, so he was a little bit invested in it. Um, the, the thing that kind of made him center square for this, uh, for this whole effort was, first he was graduating, so I needed to find him some kind of gift, and I couldn't afford uh, a car or anything else, because, uh, uh, I'm a writer, so I'm broke. Um, and I also wanted to get my, I kind of had this feeling that most fathers, I think, do at some point that we totally messed up as our kids are going to college. Like we, we were never the kind of dads who gave our sons that thing that, that, you know, grown ups do later, which is, you know, as my daddy always told me, um, I don't think I give my son the, as my daddy always told me kind of thing. So I wanted to give him that as a graduation gift. Um, and the message I wanted to get was, hey, you know what, it's too much, if there's something you really feel passionate about doing, it's not about results, it's about the actual doing. So, you know, do it. I always wanted to write a book. Everybody that I pitched to this idea to kind of laughed me out of the room, like literally laughed me out of the room. Um, but I wanted to do it, so I was going ahead and doing it. And it's a book about people who have been laughed out of rooms who are still going for what they want to do. So it just seemed like the perfect storm. You know, this is, uh, this is a lesson I want to give him. And here's uh, a book that will hopefully provide him with that lesson. Awesome. I like it. And your background, you've obviously been a writer for quite some time, but you've also worked in television. And so how yeah. has some of the work that you've done, which I don't know if you want to, to list all the shows you've 
you've done. I know you've been on the the Queen or worked on the Queen Latifah show and behind the music uh, and. I, yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's, there's not many, many it seemed like, yeah. people know, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, Queen Latifah is recent, and everybody knows uh, Latifah, so I guess that counts. I was a, a segment producer there for the, the run of the show, which was only about a year and a half, uh, but it was great. Uh, I had a great experience just learning you know, how to do interviews in a different way. Um, the the other show that lives on that I worked on for a while, um, I'm surprised how it still lives on, is uh, the VH1's Behind the Music. I wrote and produced a few of those. Um, so, but there were other, I you know, worked for Craig Kilborn, Jesse Ventura, and um, uh, a bunch of uh, documentary-style cable shows that nobody's ever seen. Hey, I saw Martin Short on the list, too. That's always... Yeah, that's about the, the extent of what uh, that show was. Uh, people look at it on my resume and go, oh, uh, <laughs> it did not last very long. It was my first TV gig, but it uh, it was a quickly, quickly canceled um, talk show way back in uh, about 15 years ago, something like that. Good stuff. And what was... I'm just, this is just me being curious because I like behind the music. What was your favorite one that you worked on? If you have one. Uh, with absolutely no hesitation, it would be Billy Idol. Uh, there, there was something about getting to spend 13 weeks of production uh, working on the Billy Idol story. I, I know it's still up on YouTube. Uh, everybody go and Google my handiwork of uh, <laughs> Billy Idol behind the music because there. I've done a lot of things that I've kind of enjoyed to have fun with over the years, but I would say doing Bill and Billy Idol's behind the music has to rank way up at the top. Yeah, Billy Idol's still one of my favorite kind of random cameos in a movie when he uh, appeared on The Wedding Singer. So definitely uh, it, check it out. Uh, that, that pops up in the in the show. Excellent. So make sure we, we actually track down Adam Sandler to talk about it a little bit too. So that's, uh, that's in the show. Excellent. I know what I'm watching tonight. I like it. And how, just in general, has working in TV helped with your writing? Uh, it's, uh, first it helped because it paid more journalism, so it helped bankroll the entire uh, <laughs> candidate's book. Always good. Uh, uh, so that's that's a good thing. Um, you know, it's just it's a different way of doing it. Most of what I did was either on talk shows where you're segment producing, which is, you know, essentially you're getting the uh, the guest interviewed before the host, and then you're briefing the host on the best few things to uh, to go after with that guest. So doing that job really helps you kind of prioritize and talk show interview at the absolute maximum is like six and a half minutes at the most you'll ever get. And so doing that really helps you figure out how to tell the best, funniest, most compelling story in the space of six minutes. Uh, and then doing the behind the music and things like that, it's just a very different style of writing where there are, you cannot waste words because you don't get many to work with. So it, it really sort of taught me how to kind of jazz up the writing, but at the same time economize in the, in the wordplay that you get to do when you're just doing prose. Very cool. And you've released the candidates through yeah. Bob Thomistic Books. 
uh, which is through I have a, beat. a mutual contact. We know Bob Makala, who I met during one of his Barstool Poetry events. And I'll do a shameless plug here for the podcast I had with him because he is he cracks me up every time I talk to him. So I I'm just curious, how did you two meet? Uh, first of all, I'm I'm your favorite of the two of us, all right? Correct. Yes, yeah. you're you're taking okay. over. Yes. <laughs> just just make it short. <laughs> um, uh, we met way back in my People Magazine days because my my first job when I moved to LA was. Um, uh, I spent 10 years uh, as a writer, reporter at People Magazine, and uh, Bob was working at the time, actually not when I started, but at some point, I can't remember when he came in, uh, he started working for Who, which was our Australian equivalent to People Magazine, uh, and God, I can't remember if it was his cubicle or his office, or maybe it was his girlfriend's office right near mine. Uh, and, uh, so we would just see each other, uh, and I remember when he did his barstool poetry, uh, stuff and being totally envious going, God, he, he did a book. I always want to do a book. <laughs> and so that was it. We hadn't talked in ages, but, um, then he had seen on Facebook that, uh, I was working on the candidates and was trying to get people interested in it. And we reconnected and, um, and now... I am trying to build optimistic books for all I can. Excellent. And how, how have you enjoyed working with him? Uh, he he uh, is standing right here to pay me 10 bucks to say <laughs> it's all been great. Actually, he's not. He hasn't paid me 10 bucks yet. Um, no, it's been, it's been great to work with somebody who kind of instantly got what I was trying to do. This This book got turned down all over the place uh, because nobody got what I was trying to do. I wasn't trying to make fun of these people. Um, I, I was trying to have fun with them, but not make fun of them. And, uh, and to really get at that core of what makes somebody do the impossible. And uh, Bob got that. Uh, and so it's been great to work with somebody who can appreciate and really uh, um, understand the work that, uh, that you're sharing. Very cool, very cool. And hopefully you'll get that $10 soon. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, then I probably have to give him like 15% back. So. <laughs> Those agreements always come back, always come back to bite you. Uh, that's, uh, that's what the devil keeps telling me. <laughs> All right, now I want to go way back. Yep. This is me just creeping on your Amazon page. Um which congratulations on having five stars for the candidates. Uh, thank you. I, I need to make sure that translates into book sales. I'm, I'm not <laughs> entirely sure that it does yet, but I'm hoping. Well, yes, hopefully, hopefully it does. Um, but I noticed your uh, Fugaloon Foursome comic, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correct, from, from your fourth grade days. <laughs> um, oh, the, the Fugaloon Foursome, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, and this that just kind of caught my eye because I had recently found some old books from elementary school as well that I had put together where I grew up in Chicago, so it was me and a couple friends taking on the Chicago Bulls in a basketball game. And we won oh, okay. some, some absurd score. Like we, we had scored like in the thousands, like it was like 1,200 to 1,138 or something like that. So a very, you know, very back and forth basketball game, obviously. 
Um, but I was just curious, what the Fuglin Foursome, do you remember what all the superpowers were for each of the four members? Oh, gosh, I actually had my mom call in because I know she does. <laughs> she, she actually has copies of this uh, in the... Um, uh, in the garage still. Uh, actually, you know, the only thing that I can remember of them that was, because I was basically just ripping off every cartoon character that uh, was out there, and, and mice, always big cartoon characters. <clears throat> so I just remember I had, like, the main, the leader of the group, who for some reason wore, like, a Sherlock Holmes Deerslayer cap, uh, and had gigantic ears, and uh, he used the ears as wings. Uh, and, uh, it was a moose uh, because I loved Rocky and Bullwinkle. Uh, so, and the moose, I think, was just like super strong, if I can remember right. Um, yeah, I can't remember the rest of them. I can actually sort of picture it because I think I did two or three of those books. Um, and, and then actually moved on to uh, doing my own sports newspaper, by the way. So, I don't know if I mentioned that, but. Uh, but then I decided since I love sports so much and was so bad at it, then I should be a sports writer. So I would, um, you know, write my own sports page once a week and, uh, and then try to sell it for a nickel. So that did not go well either. <laughs> but it spawned a, a terrific writing career. And so now can we, can we get your hot take on sports then? Just sports in general you can pick whichever one. Uh, it's, uh, um, I could probably go on for hours. That's why my, my college bound son who's just finishing up his first year is actually uh, going to major in sports communications since he, he, for better or worse, he inherited, um, my sports fixation, uh, and my Red Sox, uh, Patriots obsession. So, uh, I could, uh, even though I live in LA and I only lived in Boston for a few years, um, I'm completely fixated on um, Boston sports uh, and actually Chicago sports because I went to Northwestern and lived a couple years in Chicago um, and and lived uh, actually on Kenmore Street right up from Wrigley Field. Oh, very nice. Um, so I also have a gigantic sentimental attachment to the Cubs because that was an era when you could literally just walk up and get bleacher seats that day, I think for 350 if I remember right, five bucks, something like that. Um, and I saw a ton of Cub games when I was uh, living in Chicago. So any, anything, if you want to have an hour-long conversation about the Cubs lineup, I am so ready to do that. <laughs> my, my sister and I actually, we were back there a couple weeks ago, and we saw, actually, that might have just been last weekend. I don't know. Time, time is all blurring together this month. But in any case, we were there recently, and... I hadn't actually been to a Cubs game in probably 10 or 11 years. And so I was so excited to see, you know, this offense that was scoring like 10 runs a game and they, they got three hits. And one of them was John Lester, who for the listeners is a pitcher who's maybe batting what, like a hundred for his career, something like that. Yeah. Well, if that, I mean, he came for the, oh yeah. Yeah. That's probably even worse than that. Like, oh, oh, 29, something like that. Good stuff. But yeah, it was it was real <laughs> a real disappointing game to see. But then they they won. Right? Didn't they? Yeah. They won that one, right? No, they they lost two to nothing, and the two home runs were 
They played the Rockies, and the, the two home runs... Oh, that's right. That was the Rockies series. They lost two or three in yeah. that one, I remember, yeah. Yeah, it was two. I'm blanking on his name now. But the the Rocky, the same Rockies guy had two solo home runs, and so it was a very, very slow... Actually, it moved really quickly, but a very, you know, unentertaining yeah. offensive game. But it was a good pitcher's duel, Sam. Well, uh, I could say they've only lost five, I think, so far this year, and you got to see one of the five. So look at it that way, that it was very rare that you got to experience it. Exactly, exactly. It's getting to, it's like getting to see one of the Warriors' nine losses. So. Yeah. Very... Uh, so you're, you consider yourself special. Thank you. I, I will do it. I do have to ask one more sports question since you're living in L.A. now. Sure. Are you excited or unexcited for an NFL team being in Los Angeles? Uh, it's it's odd in the it's it was sort of a slow build in that at first I could not have cared less because I'm uh, you know I'm Patriots uh, through and through uh, and sort of I grew up in Seattle so kind of the Seahawks and the Patriots are my teams um, uh, and so I didn't really care about LA and plus we've been through it for twenty years of yeah there's a team coming yeah there's a team coming. Uh, so I just was so not interested when the news came down. But over the last couple of weeks, uh, it may be partially because my son's coming home from college and he's excited about it now, um, that I'm actually kind of getting into it. And the town, surprisingly, is really starting to get into it. I'm seeing a lot of Rams shirts popping up and um, uh, draft night should be something entertaining, which I, tomorrow night, I think, right? Yeah. Draft night tomorrow night. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. There there is an energy here um, for the team that was the best of all possible worlds to get the Rams back. I think, uh, and so we'll see. But I'm I'm kind of into it now. Awesome, and it, it seems like they're bringing out all the stops. You know, trading up for the number one pick and all that. So well, it, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's L.A. I mean, you can't just have a team. Uh, you have to have the team, and even if you know having the team doesn't necessarily mean you win everything, it just means you're the the talk of the town. That's what you want. And training up certainly did it. And whatever guy they they pick uh, is I'm sure actually part of what they're now looking at is who's going to make it as the biggest celebrity in town because whoever it is is going to do every talk show and do every ad and everything else. Yeah. The other one ends up in Philadelphia, so he can get booed mercilessly all the Yeah, and have his career over in about two years. Yeah. Uh, and then just go drinking with Johnny Manziel. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty solid timeline. Um, I know. Yeah, that sounds like a reality show is what it does. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll look for that by 2020. It'll be wonderful. Um, I feel a little bit bad for Nick Foles, who is the... Current Rams quarterback, probably for another what another twenty four hours or so. Um, although maybe they'll they'll still start the season with him. I don't know. But he, I grew up in Austin, and I actually played basketball with him a couple months ago because uh, he's a, a friend of a friend, and he was he was a very nice guy. So I'm wishing I'm wishing good things for him, even if it ends up not being in LA. But he was he was really happy to get out of St. Louis because the fans were just. I mean, they were just turning on the team because they already knew it, and so he said it was kind of tough to play. You know, to play oh, a home yeah, game. Yeah, while they you're they, they, all they the couldn't time. just come back. Once you have an owner who says, "I hate all you people and I can't wait to leave," 
you're you're pretty much screwed. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I feel bad for for Nick Foles. I mean, he had a great year, and then like nobody hears from him. And and the, the sad thing is, like out here in all sports uh, talk radio, um, before the trade up for the draft choice, like his, his name literally, I never heard anybody bring it up. They talked about Case Keenum. Uh, but nobody was mentioning Nick Foles, so uh, hopefully he will find uh, find a home somewhere else where they'll let him play. I'm sure there's a ton of places that can still use a quarterback. So that is true. The Bears can always use another one after Cutler gets his routine injury halfway through the season. So yeah, and, uh, he he will be there longer than I will probably be alive. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know why the Bears don't seem to care. Uh, I know they paid a ton of money for him, but I think it's fair to say the Cutler experiment is not working out. <laughs> uh, so you know, do something already. I, I was actually kind of shocked they didn't try to get into the uh, the quarterback sweepstakes just a little bit. Uh, but you know, they, they haven't, and they probably won't even draft somebody. It's just it's another Jay Cutler year. Yeah, Chicago ownership tends to be notoriously stubborn so i don't i'm not super surprised by it but it's a little i mean he did have his best he did have his best career numbers i think or at least best in chicago numbers last year so maybe maybe that's enough to sway them to to keep on keeping on but oh well yeah it's uh he strikes me as one of those guys who uh does love his numbers but uh yeah, numbers do not even begin to tell the story. So hopefully, um, hopefully he will get his act together, and then I can wear my Bears shirt that I still hold on to for my days in Chicago. Excellent. Yes, hopefully you get to wear that with pride. I just have a Devin Hester jersey that I got in China for like ten bucks. It looks close enough to the real thing that I'll put it on every once in a while if I remember and I'm watching a game. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, actually, I, this is way too old of a reference for anyone, uh, but uh, but I did, uh, and do still have a Gary Fensick jersey that I gave to my son, so. Excellent. For those who remember Gary Fensick, which I imagine is me. <laughs> Shout out to Gary Fensick, love it. All right, let's steer this, we'll steer this back away from sports, because I do feel like we could go on for hours, and I know... You at least have to leave relatively soon, so. Uh, yeah, I just have to um, actually get my daughter from school eventually. So. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. We won't we won't leave her stranded there because we're talking about sports. So I like to wrap up with a top three, and I was going to ask just the top three presidential facts you learned during the writing of this book, but I'm kind of curious now, just your like your top three ways people raised money for their campaigns. So whichever one you want to answer, or if you want to answer both, turn it into a top six, you do, do whatever, yeah. whatever you're uh, feeling. Well, I mean, wait, for presidential facts, there really aren't any facts as we have clearly seen, uh, <laughs> don't really play any part in any of the, uh, the actual candidate speeches. Uh, in fact, they're detrimental. Um, so, uh, it's almost like, uh, um, I won't single Trump out, you know, oh, I just did. All right. Uh, there's like a a penalty you have to pay to actually use a fact. 
so uh, in order to avoid being penalized, uh, he and everybody else just avoid using them. Um, but as for like fundraising, was that what your other question was? Yeah. Like three fundraising yeah. uh, things. Um, yeah, do you mean amongst the people I interviewed or, or the, the big name people? Because there's a huge difference. Amongst the people you interviewed. Huge uh, difference in how they go about it. So, yeah, just the people just the people you interviewed, because I think that's oh, okay. more entertaining. Yeah. Um, well, I, definitely at the top of the list would be uh, uh, Lori Fleming from Arkansas, who lives kind of so far, like, out. it's not even that at the middle of nowhere, it's like the very, very far end of nowhere. Um, and, you know, has no money and she has to uh, raise her severely autistic son. Uh, and she lives in this tiny little space that is, is not quite even as big as like my, my bedroom. Um, and yet every, uh, every time she can make a little bit of money doing odd jobs or, you know, gifts for her family, she will take the money, she'll bake some cookies or something, uh, put them in little plastic bags, tie a ribbon around them. Uh, she'll pay for some stickers that will have, you know, Lori Fleming for President on them. And she will go down into the town nearby and sell them to raise money for her campaign. Uh, and needless to say, not a lot of money flows in. Uh, it's a lot more going out. But... Like that, that kind of dedication is, is so exactly what I wanted the book to be about. That I just, you know, love the fact that she um, she does that. Uh, you know, everybody else that I talked to, not as, as much, uh, not as big on the fundraising. Um, I will say that one of my other favorites from the book, a guy named Harley Brown, who lives uh, up in Idaho, um, would have fundraisers. Uh, with all his biker friends at the local biker bar uh, where people could come and donate and uh, there's like uh, donating money to a presidential candidate at a place called the Busted Shovel. I think that that was a lot of fun. Two, a campaign manager who goes by the name Mayhem. Hmm. It would be very hard to write the check out to Mayhem, I would think. But, uh, but I, you know, I love that. Um, you know, as far as like a, a you know, a number three, it's, it's just sort of a general one because so many of um, the people I talk to have no way of reaching out to people except on the internet. So they will just, you know, write, you know, whatever, whatever kind of desperate plea they can to have people send money to a total stranger. Um, and And I like that idea only because it's really not that much different from sending money to, you know, Bobby Jindal. But, you know, you, you see a name, you know that person's never going to be president, but you might as well get money anyway. Uh, so why not give that to somebody in my book uh, rather than, you know, Pataki or Bobby Jindal? Yeah. I don't know, I don't know if those count, um, but, uh, you know, those, uh, those are some of my, uh, you know, my favorite folks. I like it. Definitely count. They definitely count. And that's that's all I've got. Was there anything I should have asked that I didn't? Anything else you want to make sure everyone knows? Oh uh, no, just uh, you know, everybody, please uh, check out the book. I, I do have to constantly remind people that it's not 
a political book. It's a personal book. The, it's personal in that it's the stories of these people. It's not, you know, can they actually win the presidency? Because, no, they can't. Uh, can they fill, you know, whatever it is they're looking for in their own life by doing it? Yeah, that's why they're doing it. Um, so, you know, look at it. Uh, and I, Bob and I have had this conversation before about maybe we should be pitching it as a self-help book uh, because it's me trying to figure things out. It's these people trying to figure things out. Uh, and it's funny. So, you know, there you go. Boom. I like it. And where can people find both the book and you online if they want to get in touch and give you a shout out for a good read? Uh, it's, well, there's, uh, um, Twitter, uh, which, um, I'm learning how to use the Twitter, uh, which is at, uh, capital T, the underscore candidates. So, uh, you know, C-A-N-T-I-D-A-T-E-S, candidates, the underscore candidates. Uh, my Facebook page, just with my name, you can, you can reach me there. Um, and the book's on sale either uh, Amazon or go to Bob's uh, uh, website, bobtomysticbooks.com. Perfect. Boom. Well, Craig, thank you so much for taking the time to chat about the candidates, about sports, about life in general. Loved it. I, I'm more than happy to do it. Would you say at the end of this that, that I'm now definitely funnier than Bob? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, that's my only goal. I don't care if I sell another book. Uh, it's uh, we're we're trying to uh, you know top each other. So, uh, but uh, no, it's been great. I really appreciate your interest in the book, and hopefully, you know, people will check it out. Absolutely, and enjoy the rest of your day, and hopefully, sunny California. Uh, it's uh, dipping down into the seventies today, so we'll Ooh. we'll see how that goes. A little chilly, a little chilly. Yeah, I got a jacket ready, so, so yeah, thanks for asking. Oh, yeah, always good to be prepared. <laughs> thanks so much, Craig. Thanks. Bye-bye. That's Craig Tomashoff, author of The Candidates. Check it out. Very good read. Super enjoyable. And a lot of great people in there. And like Craig said, it's just a, a great story more about life than just about politics. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes at Locally Source Joey. Or just let me know. You can hit me up on Twitter at Joseph Currency. And remember, why was the mermaid wearing seashells? She grew out of her B-shells. Get after it today, people.